Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. Hey, I'm Shauna Compton-Game. This is Millennial Money, and today we're talking breaking down investing taboos with Taylor Schulte and Ask Shauna, what do I need to know about life insurance?
Millennial Money with Shauna Compton Gaines. It will expand your brain. We have got a great Ask Shauna question today, and I just love this one. I love the variety of questions that I'm getting. I think that's so cool, and it really shows, I think, how different we all are, and yet we probably all have these same questions, or at least a version of these questions. Again, if you have a question that you would like me to answer on air, please head on over to the link in the show notes. You can submit your question. And, you know, I do my best to go in sequential order, but I'm also trying to group these so they make sense. And some of them are a lot like the other questions. So I do a lot of maybe combining of those questions just to make sure that, you know, everybody gets their question read and uh, an answer, hopefully, or at least a little bit of guidance. So the question today is from Chelsea. And Chelsea says, Hi, Shauna, I just started listening to your podcast and love the new format. I was wondering if you could tell me your thoughts on life insurance. I know there are a lot of different plans and options, some of which act as savings accounts that build equity, and others that give you money you put in if you don't use the benefits for a certain time. Thanks, Chelsea. That's such a great uh, question, Chelsea. You know, there's like this cloud, I think, of mystery around life insurance and also a cloud of negativity. And I don't really know how it got to be that way. I don't really know how we somehow created this this cultural, um, I don't even know the word. It's like It's like when we talk about insurance, somehow it evokes, you know, like, nasty used car salesman in our brains. And I'm not quite sure how that correlation actually happened because, you know, life insurance is like a lot of things that we talk about on this podcast or, you know, that are that are real life stuff, which is just everything's not one size fits all. There's no 20 step checklist that you do with your finances and then everything's perfect. It just doesn't work that way. And so with things like life insurance, you know, it may or may not be a good fit for you. And also it may not be a fit now, but it might be a fit in a couple years. Maybe you get married or you have a baby or, um, I don't know, you start a business or something like that. So, you know, the point is, is that your finances can evolve and your thoughts on, Lots of different things when it comes to protection or personal finance can evolve too. So I'm kind of begging you to not put the idea of life insurance in a box where, you know, it has like a giant hazard warning, do not touch label on it, because that's just not the case. I mean, personally, I have seen life insurance provide amazing benefits in lots of different scenarios, not just because somebody passed away. But I've also seen people use cash value life insurance, which I'll talk about in a minute, to help with retirement or to fill certain gaps or maybe to provide funds to buy a house or, you know, quit their job and move abroad. So I've seen a lot of different iterations of how life insurance works, not only just when you're dead, right, which is what we all think about. And maybe that's why we all kind of have a negative stigma around it. But it also can be really powerful for you when you're alive. And in that we don't talk, you don't hear about that very much. If anything, maybe you hear the old like Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, where they're like, oh, you don't do anything, but you buy term insurance. That's it. That's all you buy. Well, 
for some people that works. For some people that fits the need. But for others, there's other needs. And so again, I think just like closing our brains to it and automatically like thinking of the grubby used car salesman is not getting us where we want to be financially. And Again, this might not be a fit for you. It may not be the right thing, but at least get educated, at least know what the different options are. So life insurance is like different flavors. You know, if we're going to Baskin Robbins, we've got a bunch of different flavors to choose from with some variations. The easiest is term insurance. That's like renting, right? So you're renting the life insurance for a specific period of time. Usually it's either 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years. And look, it's cheap, when you're young and you're healthy. It is the cheapest form of life insurance. There's really no way around it. And, you know, if you're looking for something to just protect your family or maybe you just had a new baby or whatever the situation may be, term probably is where you're going to start. And, you know, what Chelsea was referring to is there there is some... Um, type of life insurance where you put your money in, if you don't use it, you get the benefits back. That's called return of premium. It's ROP is what you might see on an illustration. Um, you know, honestly, in the real world, it's not sold a lot because, um, because it's more expensive. It just makes it more expensive and, you know, it's just not, it's just not something that's added on a lot of the time, but it certainly is an as a option, if you feel better to pay a little bit more, that if something doesn't happen to you in 10 or 20 or 30 years, whichever term you select, that you get your money back, then go for it, right? This is the part where you get to customize, you get to do this however you want it done. So that's the easiest type is term insurance. And then there's also permanent insurance. And permanent insurance can build cash value. And the reason they call it permanent is it's meant to last for your entire lifetime, usually to age 121, which probably is longer than most of us will live. But but that's the difference, right? And then there are a couple different flavors of permanent. So we have whole life insurance. Um, this type of life insurance is what kind of used to be the old norm when we talk about permanent life insurance. You have to pay your premiums. But it does build cash value. It can build significant cash value depending on how it's structured. You can use the cash value for retirement, for anything that you want, but it does build cash value. It's a little bit more conservative type of permanent life insurance, meaning it may not earn as much interest as some of the other types, but it's kind of the old standard, I would say. Uh, then there is universal life, which universal life has flexible premiums. So if one year you can't make the premium payment, it usually isn't that big of a deal. Again, this all depends on how the policy is structured, it has an interest rate, grows cash value, all of the same things that whole life has. It just has flexible premiums where whole life, you got to make that premium payment. Then there's another type called indexed universal life, and this is super popular right now. It follows one of the uh, indexes, so like the S&P 500, that's usually what most of these policies will follow. So the theory behind indexed universal life is that you're investing in a stock market index, so you can have the opportunity to have a lot of growth, but there's normally a cap 
11%, 12%, that's kind of where you're capped. But what people like about these is that it usually has a floor of 0 or 1%, meaning if the stock market went down 30% in one year, your floor would be 0%. So you're not losing money. You're always going upwards. You're never going down. See how that works? And then the last type is the riskiest. It's called variable universal life. And think of this as a combination between the stock market and life insurance. So you're actually investing in the stock market with this type of life insurance policy. And it's the riskiest because of that. You know, if the stock market goes down, you could risk losing your life insurance that you have, you know, which is kind of the purpose of you buying it. So a lot of people are... are, really leery of variable. Again, in the right situation, it might work perfectly, but it may not be your situation. So, you know, I would say if you're interested in life insurance, do some research, find out which of these flavors resonates with you. There's lots of benefits. Uh, permanent life insurance can build cash value. The money grows in there tax, tax-free, tax deferred, if you will. You could pull out the cash at any time Um, there's usually up to a certain amount you can pull out. That's between you and the insurance carrier. But unlike a 401k where if you pull money out before before a certain age, you're going to pay a penalty, right? And it's going to be added to your taxes. That's not the case with life insurance. It's a different beast. Uh, A lot of people use permanent life insurance almost like a Roth IRA alternative. Maybe they're Income has exceeded the income caps for a Roth, but they like the idea of a Roth, right? You put money in after tax, it's growing. You could pull it out uh, under certain situations without having to pay tax on that money. So, you know, you could maybe construct a life insurance policy that would operate that way. Again, there are different design features around that. You want to make sure that's designed properly with your, your goal. But as always... Look at different options, figure out what makes sense with your budget and your goals and figure out, you know, maybe this might not be something that's appropriate for you now, but again, it might be down the road. So it's not the most terrible, horrible, awful thing in the right situation. It is, can be a lifesaver and can provide a lot of benefits to you while you're alive. So I am... So excited about today's podcast. You know, there are a lot of taboos when it comes to investing. I have to be rich to start investing or I'll lose all my money if I start investing or I don't have a clue where to start investing, so I'll just never do it. You know, I mean, there's a million different taboos and we all have our own taboos, whether good or not good, that are kind of ingrained inside of us. So I wanted to do an episode where we really dig in and see if we can demystify some of these common taboos so that you can really find your own sweet spot when it comes to investing. And I asked my friend Taylor Schulte, who's the founder of Define Financial. He's a podcast host of Well as Stay Wealthy San Diego and He's a fellow certified financial planner, so it's always fun for me when we can get two financial planners talking about demystifying and breaking down taboos. So we are going to completely and utterly demystify the five most common investing taboos. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. 
When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited, and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince, and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy, workout-friendly outfit I've worn it for like five days straight. 
Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash etm. In those moments when money is just not moving as fast as your dreams, Earnit provides the financial momentum you need to keep moving forward. Earnit is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. You just download the Earnit app and verify your paycheck. Then you access up to $100 a day as you work and you can leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. I honestly would use Earnin in lots of different ways, but what's on my mind recently is I need a night out. I need some good tacos to sip on a few virgin margaritas and celebrate you all helping this podcast earn 26 million downloads. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security. Gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Talkin' Money under podcast when you sign up. It will really help the show. Talkin' Money under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. So Taylor, it's always fun to have another certified financial planner on the podcast with me to, you know, mesh minds and share a lot of insight. But before we jump into talking about some of these investing taboos, I'd love for you to share with the listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe anything that you want to share about your own money journey, any lessons, good or not so good, that you've picked up along the way that you think, you know, might really resonate with the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and thank you very much for having me on. Um, yeah, so uh, my name is Taylor Schulte. I'm a certified financial planner, and I own a financial planning firm in San Diego called Define Financial. And um, we work with two groups of individuals. We work with high-earning young professionals, and we work with traditional retirees. Um, but we have that planning-centric focus, so we strongly believe that, um, you know, I don't care if a client comes through the door with $10 million or $10,000. A financial plan is is where we start every client relationship. Um, What have I learned along the way? You know, most recently, and and you can hear my story in more detail um, on the Stacking Benjamins podcast, but, um, you know, just when I thought we had it all figured out, I'm a certified financial planner. Um, I own a business. Uh, I've been doing this uh, about 11 years. My wife is super organized and a planner. Uh, we thought we had everything dialed in. We saved a bunch of money for our first home. Um, we bought that house and things didn't quite go as planned. Uh, I won't go into the details here. Again, you can go <laughs> find that podcast episode somewhere else. But um, things didn't quite go as planned. And I, and I think the lesson that it taught me was that um, – things happen and you have to plan for the unknown that just because it pencils out on paper doesn't mean that that's going to translate to real life. And although we preach that day in and day out, 
um, it was just a really good reminder for me because I wasn't 100% prepared. This was a really extreme situation. And although I had my emergency fund and, you know, again, the financial plan was um, was pretty airtight, at least I thought it was, there are just a lot, you know, there are a lot of things you cannot plan for. And so that was a big lesson that that I learned recently. And um, it, was a, it was a challenge. And now it's funny looking back at it. But um, yeah, um, it, it, I, I was, it was a learning experience. Yeah, I think that's great to share because I think, you know, even being certified financial planners, you know, I have been one as well um, in planning practice as long as you have, you know, it, it's for, for listeners or people who are, you know, just new on their money journey or even, you know, those that are a little bit more established, I think that they think that there's, um, you know, this kind of like ideal place that you get to where you've got it all figured out and everything's airtight and, you know, you're making all the smart money moves. But then this thing, life comes along and, you know, it throws all sorts of monkey wrenches in that you haven't prepared for. And that happens to all of us, not just those of us that, you know, are maybe living paycheck to paycheck. It happens to people who have a lot of money, people who are, you know, kind of mid-career. I mean, it's just no one's really immune to having life throw these twists. And so I think it's really important to share those stories. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, what, what's the saying? More, more money, more problems. So yeah, it doesn't matter if you're living paycheck to paycheck or you've got millions of dollars in the bank. Uh, and typically when you're on that other end of the spectrum with lots of money, your problems are much bigger. So um, yeah, having a plan in place to protect yourself during those unexpected events and then just learning how to, how to deal with them too is, is critical. Yeah, absolutely. So in this episode, we are breaking down these taboos of investing and we've got five taboos that I hear a lot. You probably hear these a lot. And so I think it'd be really awesome to dive into these. So taboo number one, we've got I can't invest in the stock market if I have other debt. This is a common uh, statement that I hear from a lot of people, whether it's student loan debt or credit card debt, just the thought that having that debt then stops you from investing or you know moving forward. So what do you say to that taboo? Yeah, it, it is a common one. And you know, unfortunately, the student loan debt issue is, is a massive one. Um, you know, I, I kind of take an unconventional approach here. Look, debt is really serious. And, you know, usually when you're holding credit card debt or student loan debt, um, you know, the interest rate is, is high. Um, and so it's really important to put an emphasis and put a plan together on paying down that debt. So I'd say step number one is have a plan for paying down that debt. But I'm a strong believer that you shouldn't ignore other pieces of your financial life. So just because you have this debt hanging over you, doesn't mean, in my opinion, that you should just ignore saving for longer term goals. Maybe it's retirement, maybe it's buying a house, um, maybe it's getting married. So, you know, the debt should be priority number one. I get that. There should be a plan in place. That's super important. But don't ignore other pieces of your life. So, you know, maybe it's only putting 10 or $20 a month away for that wedding or that house or retirement. That's okay. Um, but just do something for it. Have a plan for it. So when that debt is freed up and it doesn't exist anymore, you already have that other savings plan in place, and then you can start to dedicate more dollars to it. But I just, I just hate to see other aspects of of a of a person's financial life get ignored because of this looming debt. 
So when you talk about, you know, having a debt strategy, a debt payoff strategy, what are some of the tips that you offer people who are maybe struggling to figure out how to get a handle on some of this debt? Understand it, number one. Um, You know, the most important thing is to understand uh, this debt, understand the interest rate that you're paying, uh, how long it can be paid off for, um, uh, you know, if there's any loan forgiveness programs out there that apply to you, just get all the facts about that piece of debt that you can and just write them down and understand it. So I'd say step number one is, is understand the debt that you have, and then you can start working towards putting a solution together. One of my favorite things, and it's super, super simple. I mean, there's you know a ton of stuff you can Google and, you know, pay off the high interest rate debt first. Of course, that that's a no brainer. But one of the things that I see work really well is, you know, let's say you have um, five outstanding loans. You're just going to zone in on one of those. And your goal is just to pay off that one loan. Um, and maybe it's the smallest one. But what I see happen is, you get that one win under your belt and it feels really good. And then you want to go tackle the next one. And then that one feels good and you want to go tackle the next one. So, you know, if you're trying to pay off this massive, you know, $100,000 student loan that's going to take you 20 years to pay, like that doesn't give people a lot of motivation. So, you know, maybe you have a small credit card or something, get that thing paid off and feel that win. And I think that's really helpful from a behavioral standpoint. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that advice. I think, you know, we always forget about the psychological aspect of money and how powerful that is and how getting that win, that first even just small win under your belt, how that really starts to, you know, change how you think about paying off debt. It maybe can change it from a negative thing to like, hey, I can do this, like a good kind of challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I, I found a lot of success in it. I think it's super important. Very cool. So let's move on to taboo number two. So taboo number two is I have to invest too much of my salary each month to make a difference. So why would I invest anyway? What's the answer to that? <laughs> sure. Well, I don't know if I have the exact answer, but uh, I, you know, I do have. Some you don't have the. It. You don't have the crystal ball. <laughs> no crystal ball oh, here. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of these days. One of these days. Um, you know. I, I, I guess the first thing I'd say is uh, I just want to acknowledge it. Like I get it, you know, putting away ten dollars per paycheck or twenty dollars per paycheck or you know whatever it might be in your your situation. Like I get it. That that doesn't feel like a whole lot of money. Uh, you know, you might prefer to go spend it on a round of golf or a massage or something. You know, you know maybe that's that instant gratification means more to you, or you think it means more to you. But so I, I get it. It doesn't feel like a lot of money, but I want to say this, it, number one, it adds up, right? Even that $20 per paycheck or $50 per month, it adds up. You'll be really, really surprised how quickly that money adds up, even that small of an amount. Um, and then number two, you know, we, we talked about putting these systems in place um, you know, and being able to dedicate more dollars to it in the future. Remember, you're not going to invest the same amount forever, as your salary goes up, you're hopefully going to be contributing more. Maybe you get a bonus and you can put a percentage of that in there. Um, so, you, you, you know, you have to start somewhere. I get it. It's small. It's going to add up and you're going to increase it over time. Um, and, I, you know, I thought the same thing early in my career. I, I started at Morgan Stanley at 22 years old and, um, 
you know, they had a great 401k program. And I'm like, what, what is, you know, my you know, little contribution going to do? But, you know, before I knew it, I had $10,000 in this, this account. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. I have $10,000 <laughs> to my name. So um, you, you have to start somewhere and just know you, you'll be increasing it over time. Yeah. And so, you know, how would you, especially if you were, you know, just starting out in your career, or maybe you've been, you know, afraid of investing, how would you figure out, you know, what is that percentage that maybe you should start with? Are there any tips or advice? Yeah, I mean, if you're, you know, at a larger corporation that offers a company match to a 401k, you know, the, the no brainer answer is contribute as much, uh, you know, into that so that you can get the full uh, match on your contribution. So it could be three, four, five percent, or maybe more of your salary. So make sure you get that that match from your company. That's that's just free money. So that would just be stupid not to take it. Um, you know, outside of that, again, I don't I don't want to throw out a large number and discourage somebody from starting. So if it's one percent of your salary, but you set up a process to increase it to two percent next year and three percent the following and four and five and six. That's awesome. Um, you know, don't not start because you can't put away 10 percent. Um, what's really cool is some of these company retirement programs, uh, they have uh, an automatic tool built in that you can sign up for to say, yeah, please increase my contributions by X percent each year automatically. And, you know, that makes it really easy. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to log in. But, um, yeah, that, that would be my my answer. Yeah, I think that's that's awesome advice. So taboo number three, I feel like we could spend quite a while on. The market is obviously at all-time highs, even though we've had a bunch of corrections lately that maybe have given some mm. new investors or even seasoned investors a little bit of a panic attack. But what do you say to the taboo, I'm going to wait to invest until there's a market correction and I can buy at lower prices because I don't really want to lose my money? <laughs> sure. Um, again, uh, I, I don't want to discount people's feelings. I get it. The, the stock market is scary. It's, it's hard. You know, a lot of people don't understand exactly how it moves and why it moves. So I, I, I do want to acknowledge that I get it. It can be scary, but when we talk about recent market volatility and all time highs and blah, 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 my, my answer is, is who cares? Right. Like if you have a plan in place for the next 30 years, if you're not going to touch this bucket of money for 30 years, who cares what happens in the market today or last week or next month? Like it, it's going to be a blip on the radar 20 years from now. You know, I'm using these big 20 year, 30 year numbers. I, I would say like if if you're not investing for 10 years or more, your money probably shouldn't be in the stock market anyways. So if you're saving for a house in five years or a wedding or something a little shorter term, like you shouldn't be putting your money in the stock market anyways, because anything can happen in a five to 10 year time period. But if we're talking about long-term goals here, 10, 20, 30 years from now, like who cares what happened in the, in the market today? Um, you know, the, the other thing I want to mention is the stock market, just stocks in general, they go up 75% of the time. So, you know, I mean, in theory, you would want as much of your money in the market for as long as possible based on those statistics, because 75% of the time you're making money. Um, who wouldn't want that? You know, I mean, 
investing in the stock market is not gambling for this very reason. You know, if if blackjack had 75% odds of winning, <laughs> like everybody would be at the blackjack table, but You're that's right not on. Yeah. So, um for us young people that are saving for these long-term goals, you you have to find a way to ignore the noise, tell yourself who cares what happens today, and then, you know, our guiding kind of philosophy is, you know, focus on the things you can control saving more money, spending less money, you can make some tweaks to your allocation, mitigating taxes, all these things you have full control over, you know, the market's going to do its thing. And again, three quarters of the time, you know, you should be making money in the stock market. Um, The last thing I want to mention, I know I'm kind of going on a a long tangent here. Um, You know, you don't have to put all of your money in the stock market. You can, uh, you know, we look at you know, call it two main asset classes, stocks and bonds. Stocks are the risky portion of the portfolio and bonds are the safer portion. Um, uh, the worst, if you just split those asset classes in half and you put 50% of your money in stocks and 50% in bonds, the worst 10-year period in history for a 50-50 portfolio is like low 2%, like 2.2% or something like that. That's the worst 10-year period for a 50-50 portfolio. So don't think that you just have to dump all your money in the stock market and hope it doesn't drop by 50%. You can make tweaks uh, to the portfolio to make yourself more comfortable with what you're investing in. Yeah, I think those are great tips. And especially talking about, you know, the market's up 75% of the time, like when you really think about that, you know, I think that it helps to dispel the myth that you're always going to put money in and you're always going to lose your money. You know, I think, especially a lot of younger millennials who have seen, you know, what happened in 2009, you know, that has really changed how they think about investing, you know, and Mm -hmm. it turned a lot of younger millennials into very conservative, you know, they'd rather have the money in the bank account or savings account than invest it and grow it. But the unfortunate reality, like if we're just talking mathematics, is we've got to grow it somehow, you know, and there aren't a lot of places to grow it. Yeah. And and, and this isn't, you know, a get rich quick scheme by any means. Um, you know, people invest in the markets so that their uh, their wealth keeps up with inflation because $100 today is not $100 30 years from now. So putting your money under the mattress might make you feel good, but um, you know, 30 years from now, that, that money is not going to have the same value. So this isn't just a way to try and hurry up and get rich. It's not that at all. There, there's a real purpose for investing. Um, you know, I also want to say too, look, I went through 08, 09. It was brutal, but there's a lot of lessons that you can learn from that too. And you know, the big one is the market doesn't always go up, you know, and uh, you have to be prefer- prepared for that because that 25% of the time, that's the hard part. <laughs> the 70, the 75% of the time, that's easy. We're all making money or, you know, our jobs are going well, everything's, <clears throat> you know, uh, on the up and up, but that 25% of the time is really, 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 really hard. So, you know, I would spend more time on figuring out how am I going to handle that 25% of the time rather than that, you know, focus on the market going up that that three quarters. Yeah, to me, it's just like being in a relationship with someone, you know, it's not 100% of the time going to be roses, and, <laughs> right, you know, yeah. birds chirping, and you know, everything's going to be wonderful. There's going to be some times where it's not so good, you know, but you don't focus on the not so good. You focus on, you know, those times where it's good to, you know, keep things going. So to me, it's very similar. 
Yeah, you're right. And, you know, a lot of successful marriages have um, some sort of plan for when things don't go so well and you guys disagree or, or have an argument, um, you know, whether it's marriage therapy or you have a certain communication uh, you know, medium that you revert to. Um, but, you know, the successful marriages have some sort of plan for dealing with those periods. And the same goes for investing. Like you should have a plan for that 25% of the time. My plan during that 25% of the time is don't look at it. Don't look at my <laughs> account. Um, cause again, I'm, I'm investing for a long period of time. So don't look at it and then go back to the drawing board on, on things I can control. Like, can, can I save a little bit more? Can I put some more money into the market? Can I cut some expenses in some other areas? Um, but I'd rather focus on those things and worry about, uh, you know, wh why the feds raising interest rates. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So taboo number four, I hear this a lot. I have to be an investing expert to put together a good portfolio that works for my risk tolerance or riskiness. What do you say for, you know, the people who, you know, they might get their, their mutual fund options at work and just have absolutely no idea what to choose? You know, where do you start with this so that you don't have to feel like you have to be an expert to figure this out? Sure. The, the first thing I'll say is, um, and this isn't like the be all end all, but the first thing that you should look for before investing your money is the underlying fees. Um, that's usually a really, really good indicator of uh, a good investment versus a bad investment. Um, again, it's not the only thing to look at, but that would be my starting point is to look at the fees. So for every mutual fund or exchange traded fund, also known as an ETF, there's what's called an expense ratio. Um, so I would start with looking at that expense ratio and finding the cheapest, the lowest cost funds that are out there. That would be my starting point. And these are, you know, your Vanguard funds, your iShares funds. They're super low cost. They're almost free. Um, so that's the starting point is find those low cost funds. Now, sometimes they're not available to you in a 401k at work. Uh, you're, you're just going to have to do your best there. But it is getting better by the day. Um, we're seeing that, which is really nice. Um, step number two, again, I would keep it really, really simple. Separate it between stocks and bonds. Um, you know, pick a stock fund that's low cost and pick a high quality bond fund that's low cost and try to find a mix that you're comfortable with. Um, I know it's not, uh, the easiest thing to do. It could be a little bit daunting. Um, and so there are some services out there that you can lean on to. Um, in your 401k, every 401k plan has um, an asset allocation fund. So you can buy one fund and it'll do the work for you. Um, you'll find that it's not the cheapest. So, you know, you kind of get what you pay for. Uh, and then there's other services out there too, like your betterments and your wealth fronts, um, Vanguard that will handle some of that allocation stuff for you as well. So you can lean on those those third party or you, know, you can try and kind of piece it together yourself. But I would keep it really, really, really simple and keep it really low cost. Trust me, you don't need 10 different mutual funds to be a successful investor. You can have one, two, three really low cost, great mutual funds and uh, be doing better than 99% of the investors that are out there. Yeah. And I love that advice, you know, uh, and also I, I think, you know, don't just choose whatever funds your friends at work are choosing or, um, 
you know, your boyfriend you or girlfriend. Exactly, right? Because they probably don't know what they're choosing. So, uh, you know, find what works for you. You know, you can be totally different, even a, you know, a spouse relationship or a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship or, you know, whatever it may be. You can have a totally different uh, risk tolerance and feel different about investing. And that's totally fine. You know, if it yeah. works for you guys, then that's perfect. Yep, 100%. We, we see spouses all the time that are on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. We'll have a really conservative, um, you know, husband and a really aggressive wife. At, um, and, you know, combined, they have a nice balanced portfolio. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you need to, you do need to find out what works for you. I, you know, I say don't look at your account. I think that's really important. But in the beginning, when you're first starting to invest, I actually would encourage you to pay attention to the ups and downs of the portfolio and just ask yourself, am I comfortable with this? Um, should I be a little bit more conservative or more aggressive? You know, in that first six months, you can monitor that and, and try to find that sweet spot for you. And then it's on autopilot. You don't want to look at it anymore. Yeah, that's awesome advice. All right. So we're down to our last taboo. Uh, one of my favorites, we hear a lot, you know, that you can just invest in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, whatever it may be, and you don't have to invest in anything else. You know, that is the the jackpot, the winning token. And, you know, I think right now something that although, you know, there's been a lot of market correction with it, I think it's still something that, you know, feels like that's where all the cool kids are playing. Yeah. Hey, cryptocurrency is fun. It's cool. It's sexy. It's interesting. Everybody's talking about it. Um, I, I get it. Uh, it's really interesting. It's fascinating. But look, if you're scared to, if you're nervous and scared to invest in the stock market, like you should be running screaming from the cryptocurrency market um, because, yeah, you know, Bitcoin or any of these cryptocurrencies will have uh, a bear market in one day. You know, like um, they've been through several bear markets in a short period of time. So, you know, talk about risk and volatility. This is off the charts. Um, you know, the other thing, too, is I've given you some statistics today about the stock market going up 75 percent of the time and, you know, how portfolios have generally performed over long periods of time. We just don't have that data for cryptocurrency, right? Like it just doesn't go back that far. Even 10 years isn't that far. 20 years isn't that far. You know, when we're giving statistics, we're talking about, you know, pre-Great Depression here, like back to the early 1900s. That's how much data we have. So. Um, you know, when we invest our hard-earned money, like think about how hard you work for your money day in and day out. We want to invest in something that has a proven track record. Um, we don't want to just throw a dart and hope and pray. So um, what we like to do is separate out that hard-earned money that, you know, you, you've worked so hard to make and you get your education and get that job. Um, most of that money should go towards these proven investing strategies, stocks, bonds, cash, you know, real estate, things that have that proven track record. Um, most of it should be going towards that traditional investment model. I'm okay with you taking a small slice. You know, we, we call it a cowboy account. Um, maybe it's 5% of your investable assets. I say no more than 5% can go into these cryptocurrency, um, you know, marijuana stocks, whatever, you know, is of interest to you to just have some fun. And I, you know, I have my own cowboy account and I play around and it just kind of gets that, that bug out of me. And, um, it's interesting, you know, I 
you know, bought a little bit of Bitcoin and Ethereum just just to learn the process. And but um, I promise you, it's no more than than five percent of my investable asset. So I'll stop there. I don't know where else you want to dig in there, but um, it is a really really interesting category right now. No, I think that's uh, you know that's awesome because you're right. Like if you're afraid to get in the market, if if you know you're not comfortable with losing your money, but you think investing in cryptocurrency or Bitcoin is the way to go, you know, that is reversed thinking. And I think a lot of times we're not like stopping ourselves and thinking, okay, well, why don't we want to invest in our company 401k or start our own IRA or Roth, you know? Because but it's boring. Exactly. And, and <laughs> the unfortunate thing is that, you know, boring sometimes works. No, boring always works. Boring, <laughs> the, the, the boring, low cost stuff works. That's why we, we do it. Um, Cryptocurrency has worked for some people uh, over a, a really, really short period of time, and that's great. And if you're one of those people, that's awesome. Like, um, you know, my father was one of those people. Uh, you know, he he made some good money, and I'm like, hey, dude, get, give yourself a pat on the back. Like, that's a, that's a <laughs> once in a lifetime return. Like, you'll never probably see that again. Um, that was his cowboy account. And he had fun and made some money. And um, but yeah, it it's fun. It's interesting. It's sexy. But but boring works. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. I think that's a that's such a great place to to leave listeners, you know. Sometimes boring is the best way to go. You know, just do do the steps, make the moves, you know, uh start investing in the stock market even if you don't know what you're doing. I think getting started dipping toes in the water is is how you figure out and how, you know, yeah, you might make some mistakes here or there, but all of us do that, you know, so none of us are immune to having that happen. So Taylor, this has been awesome to talk about some of the taboos with investing. Tell listeners where they can find you. Sure. You can, uh, I guess you can go to our website, definefinancial.com. I also uh, run a blog called staywealthysandiego.com, a spin on the uh, Ron Burgundy, stay classy. Uh, I, I write there and, and I also host a podcast as well at staywealthysandiego.com. So did you find yourself resonating with one of those taboos? I know that I have resonated with probably all five of them at different points in my life. And sometimes I'm like, wait a minute, that's a taboo. I need to totally break that down because that actually isn't reality. And you might be in the same place. Maybe you might be scared of investing because you think you have to know everything or scared because you think you have to be in cryptocurrency and everything exotic. You can't just be in the tried and true you know, good stocks. Um, maybe you just don't even know where to start. Maybe you've been burned in the stock market and you, you're fearful about getting back into it. You know, wherever you are, hopefully you can relate to one of those taboos and, and hopefully find a little piece around that taboo and also join me in the like, no, we're just going to knock that taboo down. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Shauna Game. And if you love this podcast, please do me a favor. Share it with your friends. Put it on their phone. Shout it out on social media. And head on over to the link in the show notes to leave us a five-star review. It is so, so appreciated. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. 
Right now, earn interest at 4.5% APY on an 8-month CD special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC.